Hello, everyone. Welcome to All Out Coach. My name is Tim Mikhailashvili, and I'm your host. As you know, this is a podcast, but also it's a show. It's a classroom. It's a workshop in which I am your student, your teacher, and also your supporter to help you in your quest in the continuous conversation to develop, to fully express your character at the right time in any environment. Today, I'm honored and glad to have a special guest who's been able to establish herself as an expert and as a leader in both academia with her PhD in integrative physiology, as well as in the corporate environment in the pharmaceutical industry. Her name is Danielle Day. And in addition to her accomplishments, what fascinates me about my guest today is her character and her ability to create other leaders that she's consistently done throughout her journey. And today, Danielle Day will share her perspectives on the journey from self-identity to success. Danielle, welcome to All Our Coach. So glad to have you as a guest today. Yeah, thanks, Tim. I, I really appreciate the invite. And it was great the way we connected over LinkedIn, which has been like such a boon for, for connection these days. Um, and our first conversation, I just knew we had a lot in common. And I'm really happy to be here. You know, original thinkers and successful people uh, like yourself, their careers have a, an original career path as well. I listened to your interviews and uh, read a little bit about your background. And I want to ask you about uh, who were the people and what were some of those events that shaped that character that you have been able to maintain and create other leaders early on in your life? Yeah, so I have um, I have two answers for this. One is more career related, and I know uh, we also share the interest of sports and how our our experience and participation in sports has helped shape our career. So um, I'll start with the sports influence. And I was a, a gymnast from the age of five to twenty, and um, my teammates really shaped my character. Um, I think being part of a team, gymnastics is an individual sport, actually, but you're practicing with people every day um, and suffering together. <laughs> and I think there's a real connection that occurs there. And, and for me, I always felt um, very protective of my teammates. Um, I can think of several examples of times where if I felt like the coach was being too mean or too hard on somebody, I was the one that would speak up and just say, you know, so-and-so's crying. You really shouldn't speak to her that way. And even when I was in college, I remember doing this. We had a top athlete on our team who was phenomenal, but our assistant coach just did not have the right approach to her personality and what she needed to really succeed. And she would be in tears every day in the gym. And I remember I scheduled a meeting with him because I needed to give him this feedback. <laughs> it was like, you usually don't talk back to your coaches, but um, and I, and I got feedback from a coach one time who just said, you know, you can't fight everybody's battles for them, but I just, I kind of ignored that. <laughs> I think, um, I, I, I considered my teammates, my family, I still do to this day. And we have been through a lot together. And even though the years have passed and we haven't stayed, uh, completely in touch on a regular basis, we've actually banded together to do some pretty important work in terms of, um, prevention of abuse and gymnastics too. So it's a really solid connection that I think for all of us just built this character trait of 
you help those who can't help themselves in that moment. And then when it's your moment to feel vulnerable and, and potentially need that assistance, you know, that team has your back too. So I, I think that's been a huge influence for me and something that I still use in the, um, in the corporate world as well. You know, I think your, your colleagues then become your team and your family and, Hopefully you develop a culture where you have one another's backs. Career-wise, I had some incredible female scientist mentors. And, and I have to put that uh, ad- adjective on there of them being female because I graduated from college in you know, the mid-90s and went into a research internship where I was in a lab that there were very few women and the women that were there were the ones who were true pioneers. And and it is different to be a woman in that space. And you never really saw women speaking from the podium at conferences, even back then. So they had a tremendous impact on me and how to navigate this world and were the types of people who were not only carving the path for themselves, but were very intentional about looking back at the next generation of women scientists and figuring out how they could help them. And so that also has been uh, an ingrained character trait for me, too, that I try to pay forward in that regard. The different parts of our character and how we express it changes over time. Throughout our journey from the per- personal to the professional uh, continuum, if you will. And uh, recently I published one post that I want to share. Uh, we express our character based on how others see us, how they want to see us, or how they condition us to see ourselves throughout our career. And uh, that self-identity ultimately is a a very determining factor in our success. Uh, That's my hypothesis and some of the experiences that I had. So how have you been able to maintain your uh, authentic character that comes across uh, as soon as people hear you, uh, your podcast interviews, or get to know you for a very brief period of time even. Can you share uh, how you've been able to maintain that in in the corporate environment as well? Yeah. So um, I love this question because this has been and continues to be something that I, that I work on. I I think it is incredibly difficult, honestly, to maintain your authenticity in a corporate environment. Um, And it, and it takes guts, (laughs) honestly. Um, I'm a fighter by nature, again, grew up in, you know, sports, being competitive, also like having this kind of natural tendency to fight for what I believe in. And you can take that too far. And I have definitely taken that too far in some cases. So um, I was called a bulldog once (laughs) at one of my companies, because I was really pushing for this initiative that I believed in. But at the end of the day, it, it ended up being a positive outcome for the company. So you know, this, this senior director had said to me, you know, you've been a real bulldog about this. And in that regard, it was like a positive. My family kind of made a joke about it and sent me this little like bulldog statue that I still have on my desk. But, um, but that also got me in trouble um, sometimes. And, and a few years later, I was getting some very difficult feedback about that personality trait and how, you know, it may be career limiting in if I didn't kind of have a way to temper it. And I had to take a really hard look at myself during that time period and see what parts of that feedback I could own and and really I probably should address and and try to adapt just to make it in the corporate world. But the balance of that is like letting go of some of this fire that I kind of identify with and that a lot of people, like you said, you know, the way people perceive me was that kind of like fiery, strong, like she's going to speak up kind of person. And 
I feel like I've actually swung the pendulum the other way. And I, I've been reflecting on this a lot recently. How do I reach that balance of finding the days where like my fire is appropriate and that needs to be out there and needs to be said, and I have to make a stand versus the days where I need to just let it go. If it's not in my control, if it's not really that important, like just let it go. Um, I'm also much more likely to feel that fire come up when I'm trying to defend or support somebody else, not necessarily myself. So that part is even harder to let go of because I still have that, that gut instinct of, you know, if I feel like somebody's being oppressed or is in any way kind of being treated in a way that I don't agree with, or the expectations are too hard on them. Um, I, I tend to, to feel that, that flare come up. And I, and I do think that's appropriate too, but it has been, it has been tough. It's like, um, not unlike flipping on a four inch wide piece of wood on the balance beam, <laughs> you know, it's a delicate balance of, you know, strength and stability. <laughs> yeah. It takes, I think, courage and confidence to be able to stand up, not for just yourself, but for other people. And that's, that was just the one, uh, you know, one underlying, uh, you know, the framework that just, that I, I that came, came across uh, from your responses and how candidly you uh, you have you usually respond in interview questions, which yeah. fascinated me. So um, my my next question uh, has to do with the the rise in the ranks, right? The growth and the develop the career development. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so because you've uh, certainly become an expert and also senior leader in the pharmaceutical industry, and so w- w- I want to talk a little bit about the sacrifices and the benefits of mm-hmm. uh, that transition from an individual contributor to a people manager. I want to share with you this post that I published about a year ago in which I describe the different sacrifices we make in life in general. Uh, If you do not want to sacrifice freedom, then don't live with anyone. Don't raise children. Don't marry, right? If you don't want to sacrifice your ego, don't work with others. If you don't want to sacrifice your time, don't compete for anything. Your attention, if you don't want to sacrifice the attention that you get, then don't expect to be remembered either. Right. And that comfort, if you don't want to sacrifice your comfort, don't, you know, (laughs) then do not grow either. So uh, somewhat black and white, but at the same time, these were some of my reflections. So what are some of those sacrifices or benefits in that transition uh, as someone rises in their ranks? Um, Yeah. So the, the ones that jump out for me, um, the comfort piece in particular, I, I feel like I consistently look for uncomfortable situations because I don't like complacency. If I feel like I'm, I'm really getting good at something, you know, you'd think you'd just kind of hang out and enjoy that for a while. But for some reason, I'm always like, no, I need another challenge now. How can I make this harder for myself? Um, I don't know. That might come from the competitive sports world too, where once you achieve a certain level, you start training for the next level. Right. So um I, I, but I, I think it is important to be outside of our comfort zone. It doesn't need to be so outside your comfort zone that you're miserable, but just a little, just enough to kind of keep you growing. Like you said, you don't grow unless you, you stay outside your comfort zone. And I mm-hmm. suppose that could be seen a little bit as a sacrifice because if you stay comfortable, you probably have more time and more freedom as well. Um, yeah. But if you choose to keep challenging yourself and growing, I think there's a different reward that comes with that, right? There's kind of that stimulation, that intellectual growth, there's that excitement, that adrenaline. Um, And I'm also a little attached to feelings of accomplishment and um, 
honestly, you know, how others view me. That's something I'm also looking at too, is trying to not care as much what other people think, but in our industry, you kind of have to care what people think right. also <laughs> and make a good impression. And, as, and when you're a people manager, I really care about what, you know, people think of me as a leader. Um, so again, it's, it's finding that balance of letting go of that attachment to having to please everybody and coming to grips and comfort with the idea that you're never going to please everybody. But if you can do your best and reach one person with the way that you're attempting to lead and attempting to um, challenge yourself and grow and, and get into a space where you can help people even more. Um, if you can, if one person resonates with that and, and accepts that as, as helpful to them, then it's worth it. And again, going from being an individual contributor to a people manager, uh, I think you do sacrifice a little bit of your freedom there because you no longer, it's not like you versus yourself in a, in your mind and, and kind of your daily decisions, but now you're responsible for this group of people. And hopefully as a leader, you feel responsible for them and for their growth and their development and their happiness and contentment with their job and their work. And you want them to also be in a, a situation where they're going to continue to thrive, but also feel supported. Um, so that can be a little bit more pressure, I would say. Um, mm -hmm. And again, you do sort of sacrifice that freedom. It's like you could put under your freedom spectrum there, you know, in, instead of be married, live with somebody else, it's like be a leader, you know, because oh, you, you do, yeah, you, you are kind of beholden um, to the individuals that, that uh, report to you. Um, so, but, it, but there's so much reward in that as well, because to feel like you can impact somebody else's lives in a meaningful way. I mean, first of all, it's not something to be taken lightly. Um, again, coming from the, the gymnastics world and, and having some coaches who really took advantage of their position and the responsibility they had to nurture and help young people grow. That happens all the time, unfortunately, mm -hmm. but you, it's, it's also not something that um, the corporate world has, uh, has completely evaded as well. I mean, you see some leaders who, do take advantage and don't really take the responsibility. I mean, even though you're dealing with adults, it's still a huge responsibility to be responsible for somebody's life and livelihood and their daily happiness. And um, I think we have to take that very seriously. And the reward is that if you do it well and you do it right and you do it in a positive way, then you get to impact somebody's life in a positive way. And you get people coming back to you and saying like, wow, this was really helpful. Thank you. Or thank you for just understanding that I'm going through a tough time right now and not firing me, you know, and just like giving me some space to figure it out and helping me figure it out. You know, that's, that's huge. I mean, that's, there's not a whole, I've heard this recently and it really stuck with me. We don't all get very many opportunities in life to truly affect another person's life or change another person's life. And if you're in that position to do so, what a gift that is. And, and I think I take it very seriously. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I didn't know how to call it when I was early in my career. But uh, I mean, I remember being a part of a merger uh, in my first role uh, in a headquarters role. And I was in, in charge of hiring the next person to replace me as a contractor, as a postdoctoral fellow. 
And I was uncertain about my future, but I spent hours in the, in the you know, after in the, my cubicle after work, trying to convince this one candidate to take this opportunity, despite the merger that would happen because of the valuable experience I had early on, probably to your, to your points there about being a fighter. I always loved sports. I shared that with you completely. Never became a six science researcher was competitive, have some trophies from uh, high school and college ended there. So I want to ask you about the inspiration that you have uh, and how you've drawn your inspiration from science and sports to develop other leaders. Yeah, I, um, I told you, so, you know, transparency to the audience, I did get some of these questions ahead of time and, and I love to write and journal. So it was, these were great things to think about and journal about. And when you asked me about um, the competition piece in particular, I was trying to think back, like, have I always been really competitive? And I had this memory of being in fifth grade um, my fifth grade teacher would give out coupons for free homework. So you could skip a homework assignment or you could use the coupon to get um, a pretzel stick or a licorice twist. And I was a pretty good student. I was probably the one of the top two students in the class. It was me and this other boy named Mark. <laughs> and I, I remember, remember that, what's that? You still remember the name. That's I, I, I'm trying to remember his last name, but I do remember his first name was Mark. And his, um, he and I would like compete for these coupons, but we would never use them. We would just let them stack up and we'd stick them in those like flip top desks that we had, you know? So there's like these strips of green piece of paper and I must have had like 30 of them. And every day we got one, we'd then go through the stack and count to see who had more. And it was like the most ridiculous thing because we could have gotten out of all these homework assignments or like had all this like candy, but it was more important to us that we were beating each other. <laughs> And so I was like, well, I guess that's a pretty strong early memory of this competitive nature um, being instilled in me. And I think that um, as I have gotten older, I mean, it's, it's, you know, in sports, you are, you are competing against other people, but truthfully, like I was never, I was like an above average gymnast. I would say I was never exceptional. I was never the best on the team either before or after college. So a lot of times I was really just competing with myself. And I think that was a really good, also as an individual sport, you can do that. And in gymnastics, everybody has different skill sets. Everybody, you know, you might be a good dancer, be really flexible. So you put more like leaps and jumps in your routines. You might be like Simone Biles and be like a firehouse of a, you know, power athlete. So you do all of the hardest tumbling tricks. Um, so everybody's a little bit different and you can apply your unique skill set to your routines and then just try to get better using your own innate abilities versus trying to be like that other person. So I think that that has been really helpful to apply in the corporate world as well, because you, I remember one of my first corporate jobs, we did that strengths finders test. Yes. Oh, and it yeah. Was, yeah. And, and it was the first time, I mean, I think growing up, people did still always talk about you need to work on your weaknesses. And that happened in sports too, right? It was like, if you mm -hmm. weren't that strong of a tumbler, it's like, okay, well, we need to work on your tumbling. It's like, or I could just get all my points from doing the elements that I am really good at and we could not you know, push it on the other side. Right. And, and I think that it's evolved that way too. But in that strengths finder, that was the first time I ever saw that pitch of like, no, you identify what people are really good at and you help them make that even better. Why would you waste your time trying to take something that they're not innately you know, mm -hmm. adept at or, right. or talented at and try to develop that. Like that's, that's a waste of your time. And that's not how you build a great team either. So I think that that was a real learning for me, but it was good that I had that natural ability to be competitive within myself and be able to kind of 
you know, not necessarily think about being competitive with other people. I'm not saying that doesn't still come up, particularly if you ask my husband when we play games, but, um, (laughs) there's, there's some healthiness to that too. I think, um, when I, another example I have is when I became a yoga teacher, one of the mantras that I would always say at the beginning of my class was, well, we're going to let go of expectation of ourselves and of each other. We're going to let go of judgment of our, between one another and within ourselves. And we're going to let go of any sense of competition. And I always struggled with that one. And actually there was a while, I remember now that I wouldn't say that part at the beginning of the class, because I was like, I don't know if I really believe that we should let go of competition. I think it is important and it's healthy. And even in something like yoga, where it's all supposed to be like very namaste, everybody's here, we're all connected. I remember being very competitive, watching people do things that I wanted to be able to do and just like trying to make myself do them. And I also remember a time when we were supposed to be doing, trying handstands. And of course I've been doing handstands my whole life, but most people in a yoga studio have not been doing handstands their whole life. Right. Yeah, I can imagine. So I had an advantage, but I remember this woman, she was probably like 10 years older than me too, just got so angry with me. And she said, it's not fair. She used to be a gymnast. <laughs> and I was <laughs> like, here's this like 50 year old woman who's just like irritated with me because right. I could do a handstand and she couldn't. And I was like, that's, it's so natural for us to have competition, even if yeah. it doesn't really make any sense, but there's again, a balance there, right? So a competition within ourselves, trying to, to continue to grow and to learn and be the best version of ourselves, I think is something that we take from sports and also from, from the scientific world too, you know, people creating more uh, um, discoveries and pushing themselves to identify new things. Um, it's really for themselves and for the benefit of, of the greater good versus trying to beat the, the person next to you. Yeah. I'm also a very competitive person. I always <laughs> share that with uh, my colleagues, with my friends, Danielle. I mean, I create <laughs> competitions. When I was a child, uh, I used to create competitions, uh, you know, on, on the street back when you played outdoors when you were a kid. <laughs> you know, out of anything like a still jump, long jump. Uh, (laughs) I like the process of the competition, but I also, uh, an important piece that needs to be said also in this uh, regard is the the sportsman-like conduct with which, right? And you, what what you mentioned there about competing against yourself, I think sports athletes know that so well, you know, they uh, probably have to train so hard, the practice, just the amount of rehearsal that goes into breaking that record that maybe one one hundredth of a second, uh, you know, from from the second place finisher uh right or decimal you know decimals of a point in, in gymnastics is it, it takes a lot of techniques and they create new techniques I mean, based on the routines that they have right and they, they always have coaches themselves also just like scientists they always continue to ask questions right they and make observations and then make new conclusions um, so I think that it's working on yourself is so important and, you know, being in medical affairs, uh, quite a long time also, um, I, you know, I've, when I've mentored others who are earlier in their career and they, they've been my teammates, you know, sometimes one of the common questions I, I used to receive was, well, how many, you know, it's difficult to meet with some thought leaders, some experts, uh, how many are you meeting with? Uh, right now, you know, and I made it a purpose not to respond to a, two or three people, you know, after after really understanding what the role is about and how important the ecosystem is and how important even before the ecosystem, how important the, the aspect of competing 
against yourself is where I would respond to them. I would say, look, I, I can tell you how many I have, but I don't want you to lose sleep over it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I want you to concentrate on doing your best over time to segue from the sports discussion to medical affairs. Well, how do you define winning in medical affairs based on uh, metrics? How do you measure performance and communicate performance in a role uh, filled by doctoral level candidate, uh, doctor level professionals, what's your approach to? <laughs> I will just say, if I had the answer to this question, I would be a gazillionaire, maybe. <laughs> well, let's work on it Every pharmaceutical company together. with the secret sauce. Um, no, I mean, this, this is so tricky and we struggle with this all the time and we're struggling with it, particularly in a pandemic environment where you have even less opportunity and visibility to what the team is doing, especially field-based medical team. Um, it's so for me, um, if I, if I could rule the world (laughs) on this topic, the, the quantification, um, of interactions would not be how I would hold the bar. I do understand why companies do this, Mm -hmm. but what, for, for me, what I look like is again, it's, I I will bring the sports analogy. And again, and, and what I was just talking about, (laughs) It's <laughs> like every day, all day, bring the sports. Um, but every, ter- like, so if I think about field medical and MSLs, every territory is different. You, you can't possibly compare yourself in New York city to someone in Indiana um, for, for what you're doing and the kinds of healthcare practices that are going on there, the, the tier of KOL that you're dealing with um, key opinion leader for anybody that's listening to no medical affairs. Um, right. So to me, it's what are you doing within that territory? It's like your routine. If, you know, tumbling isn't your strength, well, let's see what you can do in terms of getting all the points you can and doing these amazing leaps and jumps and being really artistic. Um, so I think that there's a creativity there. And also like business acumen is something I'm very focused on right now, because when I see somebody who understands the business strategy and the overall objectives that we have for our brand and for our company and can then think about what their role, how their role as an MSL or in medical affairs supports that overarching vision and what is unique about their territory that maybe we're not capturing in our vision and they could bring to us those insights and say, you know, we always talk to the people who are at the big centers of excellence and this is what their vision and perspective is on this disease or how they treat it. But I'm over here in the middle of the country and it's a completely different scenario. And yet there are still patients here that need to be treated, but the perspective on how and when and why is completely different from anything that's in our strategy right now. We may need to pull this piece into our strategy. So to me, that is bringing much more valuable than the number of people that you're meeting with. So to, to me, it's it's about that. It's about being creative and strategic with the your own skill set and what you're really good at, but also what you have available to you in your territory and running that territory like a business. Um, that's what I think brings the most value and how I would like to measure value. It's still difficult to measure that, right? At the end of the day, you have a narrative, essentially. You have here are the outcomes that I have from the meetings that I've had or you know the insights that I've brought in. But we then as a group, I think, need to come together and say, okay, how were those insights used what did it do to move the, the needle on the business or bring awareness to an area that we hadn't developed quite enough in our, in our overall brand strategy? Um, so it kind of has to be a group, group effort, I think, in order to determine what that is. And the leaders are, are mostly responsible for taking that narrative and 
being able to present it in a way to the executive team as to this is why this team is valuable and this is how we're shaping our strategy moving forward and, and driving business, even though you can't see it in the numbers on your revenue sheet. But it's it's hard. It's really hard. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate those insights. And I, you know, I definitely agree about that, you know, age old dilemma. Uh, but I think the future is also now, you know, where you as a medical affairs organization, it's it's imperative to somehow communicate that value and all of those points that you mentioned in terms of the insights and business strategy are so, so critical and never been probably more critical than now because of how uh, volatile the industry has become, how uh, quickly it has, it has changed. And the, I know you have worked in diverse uh, environments. You've worked in large established pharmaceutical companies as well as rare disease companies. So mm-hmm. how, how do you advise others to maintain their identity during difficult times, such as this pandemic? Yeah. So I think, um, first of all, I think the work that I did when I was referred referred earlier about this kind of constructive feedback that I'd gotten that I really had to kind of take a pause and take a hard look at my behaviors, the way I show up, the way I, you know, communicate, um, that work, was like crucial for everything in my life. And it happened more than five years ago, Um, but it's with me every day. And I think with the pandemic, it was another opportunity to really think about how that, um, it's a vulnerability is the, is the piece for me that was missing. You know, I, I, like I said, I show, I could tend to show up very strong. um, And that was something that I attached to as an identity but understanding how to move to the other side of that and be vulnerable and be honest and be transparent and take risks and letting people know that like, hey, I'm actually frustrated by this or I'm afraid that I didn't do this well and that's why I'm you know, showing up the way I am with this, this kind of uh, edge to me or whatnot. So I think that um, through the pandemic, I've leaned on that, leaned into that vulnerability and tried to help others feel safe to do the same. And I think that that's the key is that that kind of openness and honesty and transparency, if we can create a safe environment for one another to share that and to be that way, especially in what's happened in the last year. I mean, people are struggling, even if they've kept their jobs, there's a lot of family issues. There's, you know, trying to adapt to the, the home office environment, having, you know, to take care of your kids, having different responsibilities than you used to, because you don't have that external support that you did all your life. And so it has to come, and I talked about this in, in the, I think the podcast that you listened to too, but it, it has to be people first. It has to be taking care of one another, checking in with each other. And even if you're the person who's the, the leader, like I, I remember talking to one of my MSLs recently and I, I was like, you know, how are you doing? Like, how's it going? And, you know, so we talked a while and then at the end, he's like, how are you doing? And I was just like, oh my gosh, <laughs> that was like, I love that he just felt comfortable to, to say that to his manager, you know, and, and um, it, it's true. Like we're on a level playing field as humans, right? Just because we have these titles at work, we're all the same. And especially when something like a pandemic hits, you realize how yeah. it doesn't matter, you know, who you are, you're vulnerable to this situation. And now we're all in this together. And I think those are the positive things about some of the the strains that we've had um, 
as a country and, and as, a, as a global <laughs> community over the last couple of years or more. Um, I really try to view those things as an opportunity for us to see that we all really all the same and all struggling with the same stuff. And if we just talk about it more and are open about it and are willing to say like, guess what? I'm frustrated too. You might not think that I get frustrated because I put on this face and I try to, you know, this is where the authentic self and the kind of what you have to do to get by in the corporate world is like, I'm going to do my best to hide it from you. But let me tell you, there are days where I have to shut off my camera because you don't want to see the look on my face, <laughs> you know, and it's, yeah. it's helpful, I think, for people to hear that and say, oh, good. It's not just me. Um, and that's why I never, you know, I try to never put somebody on a pedestal. I hope nobody ever puts me on a pedestal. Um, because again, that can be knocked out from under you in a second. So I, I just think it's really about being honest with yourself and your colleagues, um, being vulnerable and transparent, um, and, and then owning up to those moments. I think one of your questions was like, um, when do people, you might be going there next, yeah, you know, yeah. Mm -hmm. act out of, out of their character or out of their, yeah. outside of their self-identity is, is the way you put it. And again, what a, like a brilliant question to, for us all to reflect on, because we all have those days where at the end of the day, you're like, I really didn't handle that the way I wish I had handled it. Um, right. Whether it's a conversation with your, your partner or your kids or your, your boss or colleagues, you just go, I really wish I'd been able to be more calm in that conversation or more receptive to their ideas. And I've started to do this thing, hopefully sometimes in real time, sometimes the fire is too, too burning too hot and I have to do it afterwards, but I do still try to reflect and just go, okay, why did that make me so angry or frustrated? Or why did I have such a hard time taking that feedback or giving that feedback? Um, and those are the moments that I think are most crucial to our success is when you can take that pause in, again, in yoga, we call it like the transition period when you're moving from one pose to the next, that's where the real work is. It's like easy to hold a position and be very strong and you have a solid base, but let's say now I ask you to move to the opposite side or lift one leg up in the air. Like, how are you going to shift your foundation and then be able to move into that next position. Well, it's all about how you're mindful during that transition, right? Yeah. You're going from stable to something that you weren't anticipating. And so how do you, in your mind, think to yourself like, whoa, that person just asked a question that I wasn't prepared for. My gut reaction is yeah. to say no, or to say like, that's wrong, but I want to think about this for a second. So you know, taking, being confident enough to even say that sometimes in meetings, like if you are blindsided by something, I think that's another time when we can show up, like not really in our true character because yeah. we're, we get defensive immediately and protective of ourselves. So to be able to just say, you know, I wasn't expecting that to be part of this conversation. And I'd like to think about that a little bit more before I answer, and maybe we can schedule a follow-up. Like mm -hmm. that kind of mindfulness, I think will help us stay true to ourselves because there's nothing worse than at the end of the day thinking like I definitely did not show up the way I wanted to show up and I didn't show up as the person that I really want to be. Yeah. Yeah. I think we, we, we all can think of those moments and uh, during the pandemic that just became more, more pronounced and we mm -hmm. observed it. We all saw it. And, uh, and when we provide some, some solutions as well, uh, some creative solutions at various kind of companies I know. And um, you know, we, uh, had, uh, you know, noticed that a lot of people were taking some vacations, uh, lots of vacations in a short period of time, because 
even though they were working from home, uh, they needed that, you know, that escape that, you know, from, from that, you know, from those back-to-back -back Zooms. So there may be that threshold, that virtual, uh, virtual productivity threshold, mm -hmm. uh, which was a study that I, uh, I actually started. That's right. Yes. Yeah. I yeah. can't wait for you to come out with your results of that. Yes. Yes. I'll be publishing that on LinkedIn probably. Oh, I'm uh, excited and, uh, to see that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think that traditional leaders uh, in during times of pressure, they increase that pressure. Right. And they say, let's we're all in as if it were an episode. Right. Like a poker table kind of episode. Right. You have to go all in. But that doesn't have those effects in the same way. If you try to tell a child, uh, you know, do read that book, do that activity book. You know, if you tell you know, you, you, they're probably not going to, you have to do it in such a, you know, some kind of playful way or create a competition out of it, sports mm -hmm. competition, or, you know, which I do a lot with my children, by the way, uh, I've defined behavior for them through competition. They always start with the score of 10 in the beginning. And then uh, based on things, and I explain why they have points taken off. That's how I uh, <laughs> defined what behavior was when they didn't understand behavior, this abstract concept. Right. So, uh, but not to digress, uh, the transformative leaders, leaders, I think, transformative leaders, they, they, uh, they decrease the pressure and they find a way to ease the pressure off their teammates. And I think that's what you've been able to do. Uh, that's what came across in our lengthy conversation when we were preparing for this podcast in terms of being a leader who manages not just the work of their team members, but the lives of their of their team members, which essentially you're doing as a as a leader, uh, so that you know th those comments uh, are very I think meaningful important for me as well in terms of what I've you know uh, what I've observed. I mean, um, on on our team, we started to even sing songs together on some zooms with my manager, you know, and uh, we I I actually sent a a video recording of a song in Italian. That I translated, that I did a karaoke of, and then I translated it in English for my for my friends around Thanksgiving time, so oh, that they cool. would, in order to, in, and my message there was, uh, based on the lyrics of the song, was that let's uh, appreciate the people who we have next to us during this challenging time, because when you're stuck in those four walls, it's very easy to actually not appreciate the person you have with you, right? Uh, and particularly during a pan pandemic, uh, because we're we're humans and we need to be outdoors and we need to interact with people in the, our community as well, not just be closed in. But uh, I used the expression "caged animal" the other day. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I need to go for a run. I feel like a caged animal. One question that I had also was about your approach to hiring and and creating leaders, right? Because the hiring process is is changing but is outdated and it takes it's a lengthy process uh sometimes that search for the job is more brutal than the job itself mm -hmm. and i know you have a lot of empathy for that uh, you know from our personal conversation your comments earlier but what are some tips maybe that you can share with others other leaders in terms of how how do you hire what are some variables what are some you know, tips for is it for character behavior talent competitiveness, resilience, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> what is um, well, I think it's important to look at the, the team that you have and where, just like a sports team, <laughs> um, and, and where the gaps are or, you know, where the areas are that you could use a different type of approach or personality. 
Um, and I think, I, I don't know how many people do that, but it's, it's something that we've been in conversations with about recently. And, um, again, like a, like a sports team, just having the people that have different skill sets and bringing that together. And that goes back to the strengths finder stuff too, is this is the whole reason we don't try to make everybody the same and have them attack their weaknesses so they can be like the others. It's like, no, you have a different strength. Let's play on that. Um, so I, I would say diverse candidates in, in every sense of the word, obviously. Um, but the skill set, the perspectives, the background, I really, I mean, as uh, again, I have a bias because I was an MSL without experience, you know, that somebody gave me a chance and right. I know so many others that, that came into the role and just did really well. And, and, um, and I've, I've just seen it over and over again. So having that lens on things like, well, just because they don't have X experience, what are these other experiences that they've had that nobody else on this team has and would really benefit the, the whole, the greater good, as I like to say, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So I think that that's an approach that, especially moving forward, because people are kind of reflecting now on what they really want to do, and they might want to be changing professions or, or learning about new things that they never knew existed. And so they're going to throw their hat in the ring for a role. But if we continue to have the same mindsets, like, well, we're going to have the same result over and over again, if we keep right. hiring the same people. And it makes sense for us to broaden our perspective on who these so-called right candidates are um, and take the background. I, I think the candidates also have to do a good job of telling that story, right? Here's how I think my experience could relate to the skills that you need for this job. Even though I've never done this specific thing, here's why I think I could pick it up easily. Mm-hmm. But then from the hiring manager perspective, also having that lens, like, you know, here's what I think are your strengths and why I think this would be a good application to this specific role, even though you haven't done it before. And again, I'll never forget, you know, in two situations, I had people say to me when I was a candidate, Mm-hmm. Um, and admitted like, like, well, I don't know anything about X. They'd be like, oh, you can learn that part. Don't worry about it. You know, what I'm looking for more is the personality fit, the attitude, the drive, the, you know, your principles. And maybe that's another thing is ha- instead of kind of just reading people's resumes and, and using that as your basis for, uh, for your, your candidates interview. I mean, Tim, I think the list of questions you gave me for this podcast was like, would be fantastic to send to an interview candidate. And like, let's hear, I mean, they don't have to get super personal, but it really tells you something about their character, their values, their beliefs. And isn't that more important because they're going to apply that to their job on a day-to-day basis, not necessarily just knowing that they have this many publications or they got their PhD or PharmD from such and such institution. Um, yeah, almost more like those college applications where you try, you had to differentiate yourself because, you know, well, everybody has a 4.0 GPA who's trying to get into med school and, you know, but what have you really done that's different and maybe focusing more on that so we can, we have like a more holistic interview process. Yeah. Uh, Danielle, I mean, like I said, I, the, one of the big, uh, biggest reasons that I was uh, excited to interview you today and to have this discussion and record it for others uh, in addition to all your amazing accomplishments was, was really that, that character, uh, you know, that personality that is now very, ref- that is refreshing to me and that is unique and that's rare to see, you know, among executives, among senior leaders, because, um, you know, I've, one, one pr- approach or philosophy I share with you is that you, uh, you, you have to express your identity, you have to discover and then express your character regardless of the environment in which you are, regardless of what team, uh, while still being uh, productive to y- your team, mm-hmm. right, and in your environment, 
And uh, I think working in various different environments also, right? Starting out in large team in my first role, you know, I remember I didn't answer one question the way my interview panelists were, you know, were expecting. I didn't even prepare <laughs> for it, but I did get that role. Uh, I mean, after, after many others that I failed, of course, but yeah. you know, uh, after that contract position as, as a fellow, I had three different offers, a sales entry-level sales rep job, a publications role, or a medical liaison. And I wanted to get out there in the field, get to know physicians, because I, I loved working with them in the peers. And that's the direction my career took. But that first interview where I landed that role, I, I remember it was tough. And because I wanted to present myself, uh, the genuine person that I am, the character, and I made it purpose not to prepare for it. And now when I mentor others, right, early in the career who want to be aspiring, who are aspiring themselves, I tell them, look, if you want to land a role, land a job, give, give them the answers that they want. If you want to stay in a role and succeed, then you have to express your character. Prepare for it, but express it. I love that. That's been my, you know, that's, it's kind of like, too, and I know that now during the pandemic, a lot of people are, want to land a role and they're giving hiring managers what they want to hear probably yeah. right so that's the reality of it right and i i love that so much and and a big reason is as we were talking earlier about how do you keep your authenticity and identity in the corporate world if you start off as i mean and i won't say it's a phony i mean i think we all kind of put on the the masks that we need to 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 get by sometimes and um and, and sometimes it's appropriate to do so but but to start off on that foundation, like you said, like answer a question the way you think they want it answered versus, I mean, that's going to be so stressful on you as you get into that role to keep that up. And, and it's, right. I mean, that's where I think across the board, internal stress comes from our inability to like, one, know ourselves and then to be that version of ourselves that, you know, again, I struggle with this too, caring what other people think, having that, you know, perception. Um, I grew up in the Northeast. If I'm not at work, I swear a lot. <laughs> oh, I'm very, I'm very conscious of it okay. in the professional world, but it is a part of my personality that, you know, I tame. I think that's okay. <laughs> like that's an appropriate level of like moderating my authentic self, but, you know, other pieces of, you know, trying to show up in a way or putting on a personality that's not yours, um, that's just going to keep eating at you and over and mm -hmm. over. And eventually, like you said, how do you, you phrase the question as when do you not show up as your authentic self at work or like what stressors are kind of mm -hmm. applied yeah. there? Yeah. You know, when do you behave out of character? Yeah. Yeah. When do you behave out of character? But then you have to ask the question like, well, what if you're always out of character and then something stressful really happens to you. And then you have, you kind of erupt because you're like, I need to release this. Like I actually am angry and I've been hiding it this whole time. Whereas I could have just said four weeks ago, like, I don't agree with this direction. Can we talk about it some more? Right. But instead mm -hmm. you were just like, okay, yep, yeah, we can do that. You know, I'll be agreeable. I'll be agreeable. I'll be agreeable. And then all of a sudden it just builds up and you're just like, now you look like you've acted out of character, but really you were kind of not in your character to begin with. That mm -hmm. makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's difficult. It's, it's very challenging, right? It's just it, yeah. it's the energy out of you, right? Over yeah. So if you can show up as your authentic self and ask those questions and say, and even admit like, Hey, you know, I'll, I've, I've heard this with some people to be like, I might come across as though I'm being argumentative or, um, you know, just sort of difficult, but I really just like to push people 
to make sure they know that what they're trying to say. And I now appreciate that sometimes. I mean, you can tell, I think, if you're, if you're p- paying close attention, whether somebody's just trying to be kind of a, like, just poke the bear <laughs> versus challenging you to articulate what your idea is. And, mm-hmm. and now I can appreciate that because if someone says to me, I had a boss like this, she would just say like, but why are we doing this? What's the strategy? You yeah. know? And I'd be like, well, I just think this is a cool idea. We should try it. You know? And it would be <laughs> like, no, but what are we going to do with this information? Why are you doing it? And then if, and if I could get that far, then she'd say, well, how are you going to measure success? And I was like, well, I didn't get that far. You know, I just had this idea. <laughs> so, I mean, even though I would get super frustrated after those meetings, right. it taught, like, she wasn't trying to frustrate me. She wasn't trying, she was trying to make me better mm-hmm. at thinking through my ideas and being Great able to sense. present them in a way that people were going to accept them readily. And that also I understood how and if they were going to be successful in the end. So it's, um, it's, yeah, that's, that's, a, I'm, I'm not sure how I got there from the whole character thing, but I, again, I, <laughs> No, I, I think that's a good, yeah, that's a great example. And uh, particularly for someone early in, in your career, probably, I imagine that was early when you were in, earlier in your career. Uh, that, I still feel like I'm early in my career, Tim. <laughs> uh, yeah, great. That's the best feeling. Yeah, you know, always a lifelong learner and beginner. That's when you're most lucky also. You tend to have best success and most innovative. That's the only way, the only mindset I believe in. I, I like that. Thanks for correcting me. Um, yeah, and you know, with with um, uh, also just thinking back to my own experiences, also er- early on in that environment where I was a newcomer, I didn't have any experience in cardiology when I came into AstraZeneca, for example, right? and I was in a large team of seventy of uh, PhDs, uh, for, you know, clinicians with all those relationships. I, I did not have that same spirit, let's say, of a, f- a fighter spirit in the beginning, right? When I came in, I wanted to just do what I'm told and be the best at it, but I would listen, right, to everything that other people would tell me, including my teammates, senior teammates. And But I was always self-assured, meaning like I would get some qu- uh, comments like, Tim, hey, uh, you're, you're, th- this, this is arrogant. Like uh, you're a little bit arrogant with that, right? And maybe that came across that way. But then when I was given the responsibilities of training the team, right, and, and demonstrating the, the knowledge and or the, my intentions that were for the interests for the best of others, uh, th- then, you know, that same person came to me and said, look, uh, you know, I thought, I thought you were arrogant, but you're, that was very good. You, you know, so that arrogance, yeah, maybe I needed to think about how I came across uh, but also maybe it was a position, uh, you know, the feedback that you take, uh, you can divide that feedback, just like you mentioned earlier, when in your early comments, when we started this discussion uh, about cultivating, t- like comp- dividing the feedback that you get into its parts, into, into individual parts, because somebody may be threatened by somebody who's new, right? And who's a newcomer, who's doing well, who's successful, and there may have reasons, their own reasons, but nevertheless, yeah. they may be using some kind of, uh, you know, part of what you're expressing that, and then twisting it. Yeah. Like if a stranger, even if a stranger comes to you and gives you bad feedback, usually they choose something that they notice, but they twist it, they spin it. So uh, that's why, yeah, you don't listen to what other people say, but you have to think about yourself, what you're, how you're expressing your character. That's what I'm getting at. And, yeah. you know, and so I had, I had to learn uh, throughout my career um, to become more of a fighter and to 
to conserve and maintain that character, which is why I'm so, you know, it's so, so refreshing to see uh, a person with character, not just with all the great credentials, which doesn't surprise me anymore in our industry and through the networking that I do. But what surprises me is the kind people, the compassionate, generous people, leaders like you. Yeah, they, well, thank you for saying that. I, and I, what, what you just described really resonates with me too, like the um, deconstructing feedback. I love that because yes. I, like when I got the hardest feedback that I've ever gotten, I was devastated. But then, you know, I talked to some people who knew me really well. And then I, I reflected with myself too. And, and the guidance was like, there are parts of this that you could own, but then there are parts of it that probably you should push back on and say like, mm -hmm. I don't think this is accurate and let's yeah. talk about it more. Um, so I, I think that that's a really, that was a great opportunity for self-awareness too, is to just be like, you know what? you're probably right about this one. And I, and, and then I would ask, you know, can you give me some coaching on this? You know, what, what's worked for you in the past, if you've seen this behavior before, et cetera, et cetera. And it was, it was beautiful. It was like a gift, you know, then feedback is a gift, but to your point, sometimes you hear something that you're like, where did that come from? Like, I, that doesn't make sense at all. That's certainly not who I am. That's not how I think right. I was showing up. Right, right. And then I think you have to kind of turn the mirror away from you and say, okay, there's must be something going on with this person today and, you know, or their perception of me, like, because, you know, they sort of created that on their own. So it may not be something that we need to necessarily adjust in that situation, but it, then it becomes a lesson in like compassion and understanding for others. And like, well, that was a really strong reaction for something that I didn't think was very strong. So maybe I just need to ask like a little bit more about how their day is going or, you know, what's, you know, what is their real issue there? And if they can't like articulate it well, I find that I'm like, okay, I think they're just frustrated with something that is completely unrelated to me. And like, I think this will probably just go away. Um, and then you can also ask other people that you trust and just be like, you know, somebody said this to me. And like, I just want to check in. I did this recently with, with someone where I was just, who was, we were in a conversation together and I had to be pretty strong on something. And I, I asked her, I said, was I coming across as belligerent? And she was like, no, you were holding the line that needed to be held at that moment. And I think you actually articulated it very well, but you know, and I would have trusted her to say like, eh, yeah, maybe a little bit, but um, I think that's helpful to have people. And that's again, that trusting environment where we can be vulnerable to ask one another for feedback, to give one another feedback. Um, and to also own it when our reactions are really inappropriate in that moment and have to, nothing to do with the situation in hand, but more to do with what's going on in our environment and background and our, that 50% that the, the rest of the room can't see. You've definitely stretched yourself and you continue to lift others. That's the slogan at All Out Coach, stretch yourself, lift others. Mm -hmm. uh, what, uh, when have you seen people just uh, experience then the boundaries of their roles and responsibilities in, in your career and life. Are there certain episodes maybe you can share? Yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've shared this example before, but I, I just think anytime someone who is like a stranger to you and you reach out and you just say, you know, I admire what you do, or I'm interested in learning more about you. Would you spend some time with me? Like, I just think our, our time is so precious. Obviously it is the yeah. number one commodity. It's the, the only commodity that's not renewable that we have. Right. Yes. So mm -hmm. anytime someone just gives their time to me or to somebody else, um, I just find that that is like the epitome of, um, human behavior, like the, 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 the type of human behavior that I aspire to. And I think we should all aspire to. And, 
so, I mean, there's, I've had specific examples of that again, where people have just been like, sure, like come talk to me for an hour. I'll give you some guidance. And I mean, that has come back over and over again to help me. Um, even in my undergraduate career, I had professors that, um, supported me to the level where, you know, once my ambition kind of outgrew what they were capable of supporting me in, they helped me find other people to take me the rest of the way. And I think that that's another piece that, that shows kind of that, like going above and beyond where if somebody comes to you and says, this is what I want to learn more about. Um, and it's not really in your wheelhouse to be able to say, you know, I don't think I'm the best person to coach you on this, but let me help you find somebody who can, or I know this person, like I love the networking and connection piece. I love helping other people connect together mm-hmm. and watching that relationship then grow and develop. And obviously I've been the beneficiary of that in the past too. So again, it's, it's just like taking time out of your life to help other people, I think is, is the one thing that we could all, you know, work very hard to achieve. Uh, I've enjoyed this discussion with you. And uh, first of all, I, I look forward to continuing our dialogue and maybe challenging myself um, on that, that, that question about metrics, uh, to tying metrics with culture behavior, because that's an interest mm-hmm. of mine, as you know, I've spoken to you mm-hmm. about that. And uh, I do want to take this opportunity also to let you know that there will be a workshop on uh, measuring and communicating uh, this medical productivity index that I'll be hosting at the Medi- medical affairs professional society meeting next year in March. Oh, great. So I don't know if you're a part of maps, uh, but I, I've, I've attended their meetings before. So, um, and, oh. and yeah, that's a great group. Um, I will definitely look forward to that. Yeah. Uh, yes. And so the, my last question really is a forward looking question from your perspective. If there were one thing that you could change in medical affairs in our industry in general, what would it be? What is one uh, change or one area that you would like to see evolve, improve? Demonstrating the value of medical affairs is very difficult. And it's funny, you know, there's going to be a workshop at MAPS. I think there's a workshop at every medical affairs meeting that ever comes up <laughs> on this topic, because again, we're, we're well, still really trying well, to I'm moderating this, this one. I hope this one will be, uh, yours will be, yours will be the last one that we ever need on this, on this topic. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't claim to have him ambition to become a gazillionaire, but at least uh, find a solution to this age old problem. You know? uh, <laughs> my, my money's on you, Tim. Okay. Um, but so But I think a lot of it is on us. And I wonder if this is what you're going to talk about too, is to be able to demonstrate the value, we need to be really integrated partners with our, the commercial organization, the clinical development organization, the leadership, and have more consistent communication about what we're doing, how we're doing it, and and how it fits into the overall strategy. And even from the perspective of, you know, in these big field medical teams, they don't always get the insight into the overarching strategy for the brands that I think, I think we could do a better job communicating that and encouraging people again to take that business approach to what they're doing in the field and show how it ties back. And then we as leaders can then say, look, these are all the things that the team's been doing collectively. This is how it affects the overarching strategy. So in the way that we communicate it and in that consistent communication with the leadership and then taking feedback from them too. And if they say things like, well, why aren't you doing this? Have you tried that? I mean, that's, that should be a two-way conversation as well. Um, So I think within medical affairs, that's what I'd like to see changes a little bit more communication between the, you know, top leadership, the strategic focus, along with like the tactics that get carried out in the field, and then 
you know, and then I put this on myself as much as anybody else in a similar position to me is to get better at communicating um, what we're doing and how that brings value to the organization and supports the overarching strategy. Um, so that'd be one thing. And then just overall, I, this is more of my, my view on like our culture as a corporate in corporate world um, is just making work part of our lives and not the other way around because coming out of this pandemic, you know, I think people are, you know, people are looking for jobs. People are leaving companies left and right. And I, I wonder, because I've been this person too, if they really are trying to run towards something or if they're running away from something. And I, my concern is that the thing that people think they're running towards that might look better is not necessarily better because I don't know that anyone has really figured out how to balance the work life and the business life. And it's been frustrating and consuming. And um, the last year, everyone has been, had had more expectations put on them. Like you talked about the productivity. I can't wait to see your data on that, the productivity, but we had an opportunity over the last year to really shift our focus to family, health, self-care, transparency, vulnerability, support, trust, you know, while things were kind of paused from a production level. And I don't think we really took that opportunity and made the most of it. This is globally, but also within corporations. So I think from this point forward, first of all, to keep people, we need to acknowledge that we didn't really handle this that well over the last year. And that we, we, um, what's it called in poker when you like add more to the pot? Like double down. We do, maybe that's blackjack. I don't know. Yeah, that's blackjack. But yeah. maybe. But double down. Da- yeah, yeah. So we double down on productivity and expectation versus saying like, you know what? Right now, like it's important to us that we identify areas that we can kind of keep momentum, but we shouldn't be expecting growth during this time period. Like what we should be thinking about is personal, professional development? How do we implement self-care? How do we prepare you to go back into the field and be healthier when you're on the road? And, you know, there's things like this that have never really been addressed and been a priority or a value of companies, but moving forward, I would like to see that come into the values of companies is that, you know, our people are healthy, happy, and as a result are productive, right? That that productivity is a, is a, is that the, after the equals sign. And I think that leadership needs to understand that the work will get done um, but it will get done better and even more efficiently if we give people the space and time to take care of themselves and their families first. Yes, uh, y- your comments there made me think about another uh, post, another recent post that I published and I shared actually with all my colleagues in my last company, which which I termed pandemic intelligence. So I think your mm. comments there speak to us about not just our organic intelligence, artificial intelligence, but the need to adopt this pandemic intelligence, if you will. And uh, it's this quote, life is short, things are rough, stakes are too high and attractive. Our dialogue is too precious to waste on blame and pettiness. So live and let live, work and let work, ask and do not assume. Mm. That was something that I shared because of some you know, difficulties with a launch with a product launch, which probably you've seen uh, through your networks and, um, but many companies were able to launch a product and uh, there is some positive to think about, um, you know, to learn from uh, starting from a clean slate, like you mentioned. And one of that is the networking that we were able to 
to, uh, when I think back to the amount of people that I was able to network working from home while still being productive in terms of business networking, in terms mm-hmm. of meaningfulness, my job fulfillment personally and professionally, I reframed that pandemic. Yes, it's not easy to be caged up like an animal, like you mentioned, but there also were some opportunities that we, we, we had to uncover somehow. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I appreciate your comments there. Well, I love that quote. Post post it again. People need to hear it again. Put thank it on LinkedIn. <laughs> yes, yes. I'll post it again. Yes, why not? Danielle, thank you so much. You've helped me kick off the summer series of All Out Coach. Uh, I'm sure that you're probably uh, going to support the US gymnastics team in the Olympics. I know my daughter. I am. I've been, I was, I was watching the trials last night, Simone Biles. She's phenomenal, but I will, I want to talk about, since you mentioned that one other person that everyone needs to look up is a woman named Chelsea Memel. And she is an Olympian from 2008 who was trying to make a comeback. She has two kids. She's 33 years old. And I think Tim, you'll really appreciate that story too, because she is just trying to show that you can keep doing what you love as long as you keep the focus on loving it and not feeling like it is a burden to you or a demand. And also that age is no limit for trying new things, for doing things that you did when you were younger. Um, she's just an incredible inspiration and she's not going to get the press. I mean, I love Simone Biles and she's a true leader as well. Um, but Chelsea Memel is another person that, that I, I want everybody to look up because she's just the lessons that she has can be applied across all of the, the things that we talked about too. Yeah. Thank you very much. That's a great way to end our conversation here and to continue it in the future. You're always welcome to be a guest on All Out Coach, Danielle. Oh, Tim, this was a true pleasure. And I just appreciate everything you do. And uh, I love the way you think. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Likewise, uh, you've been a great guest. I've learned a lot and I know many will as well.